Podcast Payoffs. My name is Gord Vickman. Thank you so much for joining us here, as always, with my partner, Dan Sullivan. Thank you, Gord. Some very interesting developments in the virtual world. I mean, what we're going to talk about is a new concept that has probably emerged in the media, I think probably in this year. I hadn't really heard the term before six weeks ago, two months ago. So can you introduce it? Because I have an intense interest in this particular topic. I haven't used the words they're using, but I've been thinking about the concept for a long time. So why don't we explore the emerging world of NFTs? You betcha. So Podcast Payoffs, we talk about the intersection of technology and teamwork, and this is technology. So the NFT, the non-fungible token. So it's important to just describe and define what fungible means. Fungible just means interchangeable. So a fungible asset would be a dollar if I have, or a $5 bill. If I have a $5 bill, Dan, you have a $5 bill. You give me yours, I give you mine. It's the same. Nothing has changed. So that would be a fungible asset. Non-fungible would mean once it's sold once or given away or traded, you cannot trade it anymore. So the token element, you might picture your coin, but that's not really what it is either. The token would just be some element. So in layman's terms, a non-fungible token would be anything that you can create that is digital. It could be a drawing, could be music, could be a video, could be a podcast, could be an audio clip. And creators are creating these non-fungible tokens. They're putting them on marketplaces. Some of them are called supermarkets. And they can sell the digital ownership to that piece that they've created on the Ethereum blockchain. There's only one owner and the owner can prove it. And a lot of people are talking about it because celebrities are getting into the game right now. You mentioned that as something brand new within the workshops. Are people talking about NFTs yet or is it something that is not quite hit that mark? No, I don't think it's that far because it really hasn't entered into the industries that our entrepreneurs are involved in. But first of all, you're not talking about this except for the Internet. And you're not talking about it without the vast expansion of people now communicating, selling, buying virtually, okay? So there's a fundamental principle that underlies capitalism, which really points to why NFTs are very important. I mean, capitalism is talked about like it's some political party, you know, by the people who are socialist or anything. Capitalism doesn't have anything to do with politics. The only issue is that there are certain political beliefs and certain political principles which support the growth of capitalism and others which try to live off of it without contributing anything to the systems. But where it comes from, in my mind, is a definition of capitalism in the 1940s by a very famous Nobel Prize winner by the name of F.A. Hayek, Austrian, originally Austrian, fled Europe during the 1930s, went to London, then came to the United States. And he said, capitalism is an ever-expanding system. First of all, it's a system of increasing cooperation among strangers. And he said, every other economic system prior to capitalism, you could only feel trust with family and friends, people you know. You really couldn't deal with people in a trusting way at a distance, okay? So if you look at the huge explosion of 
global trade. The reason is because through legal systems and through organization, you've been able to extend how far away from another person that you can deal with them and have sense of trust in the whatever the agreement is, and that it'll stay in place. Well, when the internet first expanded, it was like the Wild West. There were no rules. Mm-hmm. There were no rules. And what had become probably in epidemic form was people faking things on the internet that this is actually real. But because it's digital, there's actually no way to actually prove that this belongs to a particular person and everything else. One example of an NFT that everybody would understand these days is actually music. What this says, and I have a client and it relates directly to him, he has a fund, a hedge fund, where if you think of the long tail concept, so what it is, is there's a straight line and then there's a curve that comes down to the right from the straight line. So the straight line would represent people, Stevie Wonder would be, you know, a straight line, you know, Taylor Swift, Drake, these are superstars. There's a money value to every download that Drake gets. And he's a multi-hundred millionaire as a result of just what the internet is producing for him every day. What the blockchain is, Ethereum, and it's a Toronto invented, it's a a man from Toronto who is originally from Estonia, grew up in Toronto, created Ethereum. And he was one of the original people that took Peter Thiel, very famous entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, who said, if you decide not to go to college, I'll give you so much money to start an entrepreneurial (laughs) company. And this guy started Ethereum. Peter Thiel's got a piece of the action. So it's a better investment to invest in somebody who's starting an entrepreneurial company than someone who goes to Harvard for four years and uses your money. Yep. And anyway, what it says is that your record of your music is going to be in a chain of other records, and there's going to be millions of records. And to change the ownership of your bit of music would require changing every other record. So it's the blockchain is that you're protected that in order to make one change to the record, they have to change everything in the record. Mm-hmm. And has to be approved by the entire chain. By the entire chain. So what that means now that if something is blockchain validated, you can bet that the ownership is as is claimed, as is claimed, you know, and this is already done with diamonds. So this has been already implemented and it's proven absolutely sure proof in what I would call silo industries. So it's not right across the board, you know, like credit cards or currency exchanges. What they do is say, where is a industry that we have where, first of all, it's easy to steal things and it's easy to claim things, ownership, and there's no way of proving it. And diamonds happen to be one of them. Once you have a diamond in your hand, who owned it before you? You have no idea who owned it. First of all, you have to check if it's real. You know, is it a real diamond or is it a fake diamond? 
So that's the first thing where people can be fooled. The other one is, who had it before? Is this a legal diamond? In other words, was this manufactured and it went through the you know market forces and was produced by a legitimate company, went into a legitimate retail operation and you bought it. And there's no illegality connected to this diamond. You had no way of knowing. The other thing is the conditions, these things, it's a moral issue, it's a political issue of where the diamonds being mined and who's doing it. Is it seven-year-old children who are working 18 hours mm-hmm. a day? You know, is it in the middle of a civil war and this is being used to pay for a war? So there's all these issues. And starting about eight, nine years ago, they found a way with newly cut diamonds of inserting a digital signal in them, you know, and how they do that, I'm not entirely sure. Me neither. I have no idea, but they did it. But any jeweler would be able to put this under a sensor and the sensor would say, yes, we know the provenance of this diamond. So that's a physical thing, but the actual thing that gives it NFT status is the fact that it has a digital signal that's been put into the blockchain. So if you're still confused about what NFTs are, I'll give you an example. Dan and I are doing podcast payoffs right now. We could theoretically take this episode, and if we were accepted by one of the marketplaces, there are a handful of them, if we were accepted as legitimate sellers, we could put this episode on offer as an NFT. Now, people could bid on it. We could price it at whatever we want. We could price it at five bucks. We could price it at 50,000. It's all, again, going back to capitalism, Dan, what people are willing to pay. Someone could come along and say, I want to digitally own this episode. I want the digital rights to it. So they make an offer in crypto. It'll be the Ether coin or, but someone could own the digital rights to this show. Now that doesn't mean that we would have to pull it offline and hide it and burn every copy we have. It just means that It's provable on the Ethereum blockchain that an individual owns this piece of media. Now, there's some other examples. There's a DJ from Toronto as well, Dead Mouse. He made these little digital paintings, put them up as NFTs, and people bought them. But it all started in, I believe it was 2017, there was a company, and they used a computer program using AI. And they created 10,000 digital images. They're called CryptoPunks. And it was a computer-generated, digital, pixelated little image of these little punk rockers. Back in 2017, when they had created them, you could just go and claim one of these. You could just take them. It didn't cost anything. So what they found was the computer had generated these images of crypto punks, and only eight of them came out looking like aliens. And only 15 of them came out looking like zombies, and the rest of them just looked like punk rock people. So now the resale value for the crypto punks that look like aliens, I realize I sound like a crazy person here, are selling for tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And you can prove ownership on the Ethereum blockchain that you own one of these alien Mm -hmm. or zombie crypto punks. And why why would someone pay $50,000 for a digital photo of an alien? Because they believe someone else will pay $70,000 eventually. And that's where the capitalism comes in. They believe it's an appreciating asset. Is it crazy? Depends who you ask. I don't know. Well, it's the movement of property rights from the physical world into the digital world. I mean, the rules for physical property are well established. And the best places to live in the world are the places that have the greatest protections 
for personal property, you know, real estate being an obvious one. And then you may have art on the walls. Well, that's physical property. The problem is the digital world is not based on space. It's based on digital signal. But I see massive use, like every intellectual tool, you know, intellectual shortcut that we have created in Strategic Coach. We already have copyright protection. Some of them we have trademark protection, and we have one that's got patent protection. This is like having a bar of gold. You know, the value of our company is fundamentally based on the value of our intellectual property. So I would automatically, as soon as it becomes available, take every one of our concepts, every one of our tools and turn it into an NFT. It's a no brainer. Why would I not do that? You know, would you ever consider selling? Well, you know, would you ever consider selling your company? People do, you know, Mm -hmm. but what we're going to see, I think, increasingly, Gord, is that people are going to build their companies on a lot of different things. There's cash flow. There's many reasons why you'd want to buy a company based on the fact that if you paid this for it now, it would be worth more later. But I got to believe that once you can digitize NFTs on the blockchain, that is going to be a prominent part of the evaluation of the value of entrepreneurial companies, corporate companies for that matter. I mean, think of Disney, think of Disney. So Disney, you know, became very famous for cartoons. Steamboat Willie, who became (laughs) Mickey Mouse, was the first successful cartoon for Walt Disney. But they saved all the artwork. These are the original drawings that eventually became film. And there are galleries that are just the original hand-drawn art that artists at Disney did to create Snow White, to create Cinderella, to create, you know, all the many. And that art is like Rembrandt. It's like, sure, yeah. It's like anyone else. In our basement, we have an original Walt Kelly, who created the Pogo series, of uh, an original piece of ink and blue, you know, the blue lines that you use, you know, that don't show up on a camera. Mm-hmm. And that was to Babs' aunt when she was a teenager. And she was a big fan of Walt Kelly, wrote him a nice letter, and he sent her a autographed original drawing that went into a newspaper that week and it's framed and everything else. Well, that'll just be digitized now, and there'll be only one in the world. None of the copies will count because there can only be one original. And you'll be able to say, yeah, it looks like an original, but it doesn't have the NFT status, so it's not an original. And you'd be doubling up. You just kind of gave me an idea. I'm thinking if Disney were to go and start auctioning off some of these old, they call them cells. Actually, my first internship post-university, it was I worked at a little animation studio here in Toronto. So I'm very familiar with those blue pencils. <laughs> so the animation, each image is called a cell. I can see Disney framing these cells and people would say, okay, well, I have the physical piece right now, but I want the NFT. So I'm going to own the digital rights to this art and I'm going to own the physical piece. You're going to have both. Yeah. Picasso's daughter, she's the trustee of the entire, and there are 10,000 pieces of art that have never been seen by anyone that are signed by him. And he did it purposely to build up you know, the estate for his daughter. And she lets out about a hundred of them a year. 
you can't flood the market because the price goes down and she would do it. Well, she would have a way of proving now that, you know, that she takes each piece now and it's put through the digitizing process and there'd be only one. So in the future, once NFT becomes common knowledge, everything that's sold in the world that has value because it's original will be going through this process. Everything will be converted to NFTs. William Shatner of Star Trek fame, Captain Kirk, I think. I was never a fan, but it's Kirk, right? Kirk. Yeah, Picard was, uh, yeah, Kirk. So William Shatner, of all people, <laughs> you'd think he wouldn't be on the train, but William Shatner is on the NFT train. He created packs of William Shatner trading cards mm-hmm. as NFTs. One of them was an X-ray of his teeth, Some of them were old headshots of him, and each one was an NFT. And he put them onto the marketplace, and they sold out in nine minutes. Yeah. yeah. So someone out there is the proud owner of a digital, and there's only one owner, the digital rights to William Shatner's dental x-rays. Yeah. That is a thing. Yeah. And so people say, well, this is absurd. Why would people pay that? I said, Well, it's no more silly than people buying anything. They deem that it has a value now, and it has the possibility that it has an even greater value later. I follow sports, and two years ago, three years ago, Mike Trout, who's the highest paid baseball player in history, they signed him to a 13-year contract, the Los Angeles Angels. You know, it works out to about $30 a season for 13 years, so it's 400 and some million dollars. And I remember being in the workshop with some of my entrepreneurs who were just scandalized. And I says, (laughs) no baseball player is worth that much. No baseball player is worth $430 million. And I said, well, of course there is. Somebody just signed the check. Somebody just signed the contract. Of course he's worth $430 million. um, Somebody just... (laughs) <laughs> paid him, <laughs> you know, and it's guaranteed out of your ears, you know, and he's a great baseball player. I mean, unfortunately, he's been a great baseball player on not so great teams. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't gotten the playoff fame. He hasn't gotten the world, but certainly last seven years, take all the baseball players, you know, who have played during the last seven years, heads and shoulders. He's better than anybody else by conventional standards, you know. But the, here's the thing that's really interesting. They said, well, it's nuts. The salaries are, you know, going into the solar system. I said, no, they aren't. They do it on a ratio. Okay. And the relationship in 2021 between salaries for sports teams and the market value of the sports teams is exactly the same in 2021 as it was in 1950. It's a ratio of how much salary we can put out based on what we could sell our baseball club from. And I said, it's only billionaires who play this game. And I got a feeling that billionaires know how to do a deal. (laughs) I remember you telling me that about a year and a half ago, that the ratio of salaries to earnings has not changed in 75 years. It's the same. Well, this isn't earnings. This is valuation. Valuation, valuation, right, right. If we were to sell it, how much is it worth? The ratio is the same, you know, that there's a ratio and everybody knows the ratio and A star like him will get 5,000 more people out to a game. They get this much more audience just because he's a star and they can calculate his value. 
Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, the black cupboards when we're in the office, all those black cupboards, those are all Dan Sullivan originals. Everything that I've written, everything that I've drawn for the last 31 years is in Babs never allows anything that I draw to be thrown away. There's just tens of thousands of Dan Sullivan originals there. And maybe someday somebody's going to say, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> NFTs, NFT. Now, here's the point. Things are only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And we can reiterate, you know, people may ask themselves and I've asked myself as well, why on earth would anybody pay $40,000 for the digital ownership on the Ethereum blockchain of a cartoon of a fat cat? The answer is because they believe somebody will pay more down the line than they paid. These are appreciating assets. I'm sure there's like the odd random nutcase who just has so much money that he doesn't know what to do with it. So he just buys whatever, but they truly believe that it's an appreciating asset. You would never invest in these things and they consider them investments. You would never invest unless you believe it would go up. So Dan, we'll wrap the show today with a question. At the time of this recording, Jack Dorsey, the incredibly goofy and controversial CEO and founder of Twitter, you might mistake him for a pirate who's been living under a bridge for a very long time. <laughs> he took his very first tweet ever. I think it was something like, be right back, setting up my Twitter account. This is back when Twitter didn't even have any vowels in the name. They fixed that. So that was Jack's first ever tweet. He created an NFT out of his first tweet. You can own the digital rights to the first ever tweet ever. What do you think... At time of this recording, what do you think, Dan, the current legitimate offer for Dorsey's first tweet sits at right now? I think it would be in the eight figures. $2.5 million. <laughs> oh, that's seven figures. I thought it might be up over 10. $2.5 million. Yeah. And the tweet is yeah. available online. He's not taking it off. It's just you own the digital rights provable on the Ethereum blockchain. You are the proud digital owner of Jack Dorsey's first tweet and the first tweet ever. At any given time, there actually is a finite amount of money that can be invested in a finite number of things on the planet. So you have to realize that when you go into your NFT purchases, that you're competing with everything else that's on sale in the universe. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a topic for another, but people are talking about moonshots, you know, at Abundance 360, they talk about moonshots. And I said, you know, the moonshot actually happened. There was just one, <laughs> there was just one moonshot. And it was so expensive, the moonshots, that after they did a half dozen or a dozen of them, they just didn't do it anymore. <laughs> so there hasn't actually been a moonshot since the 1970s. So why have they gone 45 years, no more moonshots? And they said, well, moonshots are really expensive. So I said, but everybody's got a moonshot. Isn't there going to be a moonshot traffic jam? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get anyone's attention for your moonshot because everybody's competing for your attention. I mean, there's a marketplace for everything. And then there's NFTs, you know, an NFT by Picasso is more valuable than your six-year-old's kindergarten project. Unless someone's willing to pay for the kindergarten project. Yeah. Unless yeah. there's some, you know, 
lunatic out there who really likes kindergarten projects for whatever disturbing reason, who knows? I know what I like, and I know that what I like is different from what other people like, and I would put a high value on things that are meaningless to other people. So if I grant myself the right to consider certain things valuable and worth paying for and worth working for, I have to grant it to every other person on the planet. They have the same, you know, they have the same freedom of making their choice about what to own and invest as anyone else. <laughs> and the world continues to amaze. NFTs, we hope you learned a little bit about NFTs on this show if you didn't know anything about them before. It's truly a remarkable world we live in and technology makes it all possible. It's Podcast Payoffs. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. We would love for you to do that and help us reach more people. Dan, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Gord, thank you very much. 